Paul wrote to remind the people of Colossae that you are complete in him. And I think the Lord has given us this text today to remind us that we're complete in him. Nothing more required. Christ has paid it all. You're looking too far for that need to have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. This morning I woke up with the question. I'd already had the message finished, but I always go through it again on Sunday mornings. And I woke up with the question, in what ways are we complete in Him? And I believe that Paul is laying out the argument for us here in verses 11 through 15. And it kind of goes into the practical side of things as we pick up in verse 16 forward, although it all connects in this chapter. It's not that we would disconnect any one verse from the context of the chapter itself. But we're speaking about really positional sanctification, the position that we have in Christ Jesus today. As we stand as believers in Jesus Christ, we are complete in him. And Paul is going to answer the ways in which we are complete in him today. And I hope that it gives you courage in your relationship with the Lord to know, to be reminded that you're complete in Christ Jesus. Practically, we have some work to be done, no doubt. But positionally, we are complete in him. Paul wrote to remind the people of Colossae that you are complete in him. And I think the Lord has given us this text today to remind us that we're complete in him. Nothing more required. Christ has paid it all. And as we begin our study today, we're going to look at that question. How are we complete in him? How are we complete in Jesus? And I have five points Point one, circumcision without hands. Point two, burial and resurrection. Point three, alive and forgiven. Number four, nailed to the cross. And number five, disarmed principalities and powers. And I just want to read through the context of our verses today. We're looking at verses 11 through 15, Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to pick up in verse 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, 
in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way. He has nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He has made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Father, we thank you for your word. And, and Lord, we ask that you would bless the teaching of this word to us today. May, Lord, we, if we have any doubts of our salvation, our security of that salvation, Lord, if we've been wondering these things today, would we walk out of this place knowing that we are complete in you? And Lord, if there is sin that needs to be confessed, and Lord, if there are things that need to be laid down before your throne today, Lord, I pray that they would be laid down here at this very hour, that we might have full confidence in the work that you have done and are doing and will do in our lives, we pray in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So first and foremost, the circumcision without hands. In verse 11, in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Originally, God made circumcision as a covenant between Abraham and his descendants following him. And we first read about this in Genesis 17, verses 10 and 11 where God said to Abraham, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Circumcision, a cutting away of the flesh and it was to symbolize that Abraham, his descendants, after him would not be living after the things of the flesh like the rest of the world constantly was doing in his day, continues to do in our day, but that every male child among them would be circumcised, that they would signify that they're going to live after the things of God. However, as time passed, like it does in the church today, it did for the people of Israel and in that day, they thought for Israel, the keeping of the Mosaic law as it came along, and then the act of circumcision by these two things, and the keeping of the Mosaic law, it was the physical work, the keeping of the law. They thought between these two things that it made them the people of God, that they were in a right relationship with God. In a sense, they were keeping the letter of the law and technically saying by keeping the letter of the law uh, physically, but it was a spiritual issue, and we'll see that in a moment, that it was always a spiritual issue, God working in our hearts. And although the keeping of the law and the circumcision could be things that would point them into a right relationship with God, it was not the things that necessarily made that relationship right with God. It's kind of like church today, people who depend on their physical water baptism or a church membership and they bank on that and you ask people who 
They don't go to church. They maybe show up once or twice a year or rarely come around, but they're banking on the things that had taken place when they were a child or maybe at some point as an adult and saying, yeah, me and the Lord, we're good. We good. I know I'm going to heaven when I die, but in reality, they have no relationship with the Lord. They're banking on the physical works that they have done in times past, but there was no spiritual work going on in their heart. And so just like circumcision, the keeping of the Ten Commandments, baptism, church membership, all these things can be good things that can help to point us toward God, but it does not necessarily bring us into a right relationship with the Lord. It can cause many to put confidence in the fleshly work instead of that of God himself. Jeremiah said to the people of his day in Jeremiah 4.4, circumcise yourself to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart. He said not a physical circumcision, but there's a spiritual circumcision that needs to be done. And we've been circumcised with a circumcision that's been made without hands. And again, Paul is pointing out it's not a physical circumcision. The circumcision has been made without hands. It's a spiritual work. It's a spiritual work that Christ Jesus has done for us. It is Jesus who has put off the body of the sins of the flesh by paying the price of our sins upon the cross. Not a work of the flesh, but a work of the spirit by the circumcision of Christ. Philippians 3.3, Paul said, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Have no confidence in the flesh. Now, becoming a believer in Jesus Christ through faith in Jesus. And then returning back to works for salvation mentality would be like, guys, it'd be like getting circumcised and then trying to stitch the flesh back on again. It doesn't work. It can't work. And often we fall into that trap of trying to do the fleshly work to result in our salvation, but it cannot be done. It does not work. Paul said in Romans 2, 28 and 29, for he that is not a Jew is one outwardly, nor is the circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, the circumcision that is of the heart, in the spirit, not of the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And it's in him that we have been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And Jesus took the issue of works out of the way. He took the issue of works for salvation totally out of the way, took it out of our hands, doing a work upon the cross that we could never do. So the question, it goes back, how are we complete in him? First, by the circumcision made without hands. Secondly, by a burial and resurrection. In verse 12, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Buried with him in baptism. And although John and Jesus' baptism, and I'm speaking about Jesus' baptism when he was the three years on this earth, when John came baptizing and saying to the people, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And the people were baptized in that water. It was called a baptism of repentance. It was a looking forward to 
the work that God wanted to do, a preparation for the people and their coming Messiah. And Jesus, when he came and he began to preach, he preached the very same message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And there was the baptism that he and his disciples did. It was at that time, the baptism of repentance, just like John's baptism. It was a baptism of preparation, preparing the people's heart for the coming Messiah. Today we have uh, two baptisms that identify us with Christ and the church. And is that what we know of as believer's baptism? It identifies us with the work of Jesus. And, and there at the water, when we are dunked under the water, it symbolizes our burial, our death, the death of the flesh. And then when the preacher, if he brings us up, when he brings us up out of the water, um, it's signifying that resurrection back to new life, that we would walk in newness of life in him. It's the most common baptism that we witness today, but there's another baptism that we should all be witnesses of to be able to look at our brothers and sisters and to realize and identify with not only for ourselves, but see it in their lives as well. And it is the baptism of Christ. Remember John the Baptist, when he came preaching and baptizing, he said, there is one coming after me who will baptize you with a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. He's going to have a different baptism. And that is the baptism of Christ. It's different from believers baptism. When we go down to the water, that is really a profession of faith of the individual of the work that Christ has already done in their life. It's a testimony to that work that they have been already been baptized by the baptism which Christ, the Lord Jesus, and only he can give. When we think of believers' baptism, we find that the element of that baptism is that of water. When we think of the baptism of Christ, we find that Jesus is the baptizer, and the element of the baptism is the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.5, the word tells us, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized by the Holy Spirit, and not many days from now. And so for the disciples, as Jesus was talking to his, his 12 and the others who were with him on that day prior to his ascension into heaven, he said there's a further baptism. There's another baptism that you're going to be baptized with, the baptism of Christ. And I believe that we have at play here kind of an in-between going on from Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that prior to Jesus' death, the price of his sin had not been paid. It had not been met. And so the disciples, when they walked with Jesus for those three years on this earth, they were with the Messiah, yet the Messiah had not yet offered himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the world and for their sins as well. And so they were kind of in between the Old and New Testament, we might say. But once Jesus died, once he was buried, once he rose again from the grave, we find that there's this new work that God is doing. It is the birth of the church that we know today, that we're raised to walk in newness of life. And it is through the circumcision of Christ that we have also been buried with him in baptism, circumcision, speaking about that death that he has died for us and the burial that took place in Romans 6, 5 through 7. It says, 
For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. That life is dead, it's over. We have been buried with him, but also raised to walk in newness of life. And salvation comes through faith in Jesus, who has won the victory over both physical and spiritual death. For us today, it speaks that we must be born again. Remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus uh, by night in John chapter 3? The word tells us that as Nicodemus came to Jesus, at one point Jesus said to him in John 3, verses 3 and 4, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born, again he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? And of course, an impossibility, but Nicodemus thinking of the fleshly works and not the spiritual work. So how can this be? What do you mean you must be born again? And the Lord is talking about this new work that must take place. You know the saying, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. We've been raised to walk in newness of life. Jesus would go on to speak to Nicodemus in John 3, verses 5 through 8, saying, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so again, this work that we're complete in him, it's not the physical work, it's the spiritual work that Christ has done in our behalf that we have this circumcision that has been made without hands, that we have been buried and resurrected to walk in newness of life. And being born again speaks about our resurrection to this newness of life through faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we who have died with him, we also have been raised to walk with him. Paul said in Romans 6.4, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And this baptism without faith in Jesus, it will simply get you wet. But baptism with faith in the name of Jesus testifies that the life that you now live, you live for Christ Jesus our Lord. Thirdly, again, the question, in what ways are we complete in him? First, through the circumcision made without hands. Second, that we have been buried and resurrected to walk in newness of life. Third, that we are alive and forgiven. Verse 13, for you being dead in your trespasses, in the circumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Before we accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, we were spiritually dead. At first, because of the fall of Adam and Eve. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as one man 
sin entered into the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. And so first and foremost, because of the fall, the sin of Adam and Eve, and we have that inherent sin nature. We have a spot, we might say. Remember the lambs, the animals that were brought for sacrifice, they were to be without spot or blemish. And the spot speaks about something that you just, you're born with. And that's the inherent sin nature. We're born with it. The blemish speaks about, it can speak about a scar, something that's happened in our life that uh, scars us and, and causes a wound in an animal. Maybe it would not only cause scarring, but cause the wool to kind of grow back weird or to be bare there. But there's that identification of this blemish, something's wrong. And I, I look at that as the blemish of, of our personal sins. We personally sin. As Romans 3.23 reminds us, all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. The word for trespass here in verse 13, it's a Greek word that can mean a, a side slip or a false step. There's another Greek word, hermetia, that speaks about sin itself. And so when we read sin, as we'll look at in a moment from Ephesians 2 verse 1, where it says trespasses and sins, it's using two different Greek words to describe the two different things. The trespass really, although it can connect to an unintentional sin, in reality, a trespass often speaks of a sin that we commit knowing that we're committing the sin. It's a trespass, and, and we're going to trespass. It's kind of like having those no trespassing signs, hunting when I was a teenager with my dad or some of his friends, and a lot of the farmers around here still post signs, no trespassing, no hunting. And I'd be out with some of these guys learning how to hunt, and they didn't care about the signs quite often. It must have been for someone else. No trespassing didn't mean anything to them. There was the awareness, and, and as a young child, you might say, but hey, dad says no trespassing. But that's where the game is. And we're going for it. But sin, harmatia, means missing a mark, but that could be intentional or unintentional. And sometimes we intentionally sin. Sometimes we have a trespass where we know what we're doing and we get into it. And other times we fall short. We miss the mark, but we've been unaware of it. And once we're made aware of the sin, then we can come and make confessions to the Lord. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2 that I referenced before, it says, And he has made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Hey, he's made us alive. We had once walked in the trespasses and sins. We, as in verse 13, we were dead in our trespasses, the uncircumcision of our flesh, but he has made us alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses. I had prayed earlier about our past, present, and future deliverance, and that comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, that says, Yes, 
we have the sentence of death in us that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us past, present, and future. You are complete in him. He has done the work completely, paid in full, nothing more required. And thanks be to God that he has made us alive together with him, having forgiven us of all trespasses. Now I want to ask you a question. What does the word all mean? Everything, right? All. Nothing more required. He's paid the price, and no longer do we have to attempt to merit the favor of God through the works of the flesh, because apart from our works, Christ has made us alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that have never received you as their Savior, they would like to do that today, to know that they are complete in you today. Lord, that during this last song of worship, that they would come to the altar, Lord, here, and that they would ask you into their heart. We ask and pray this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.